Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 42. Yes, episode 42. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that has yet to answer the universe's greatest question, but does bring strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So we had a great idea pop up from listener Strawman in response to last week's spam mail prank drabble. We here at the Drabblecast like to do periodic contests to help build and connect the community of weirdos out there. From haiku contests, to the super animal deathmatch competition, to the up-and-coming annual Drabblecast awards, which we'll be telling you more about soon. In response to Strawman's suggestion, we're going to, over the next three weeks or so, be taking submissions for what we think might become a new form of literature. The Nigerian Scam Spam Email. Nigerian scam spam usually starts off with a dear sir or madam, and then proceeds to relay a set of circumstances involving a large sum of free money that, because of the dire situation, must be transferred to you immediately. Most of you know what I'm talking about, and if you don't, go rummaging through your junk mail folder for a while and you'll find some. So, the point is not just to compose a piece of Nigerian scam-spam, it's to compose the most creative, outlandish piece of speculative fiction ever written. Within the traditional Nigerian scam-spam literary format, of course. You have a ton of something, and you desperately need to give it away. Why? Our only guideline is that they be a hundred words or less. And what do you get for winning? Well, we don't get enough PayPal donations yet to be able to afford cash prizes, so we have to be creative. The winning Nigerian Scam Spam story will get read on our one-year anniversary super special coming up, with all of the bells and whistles that I can muster. But here's the clencher. We will set into motion through our mailing lists and various networks a campaign of spamage for your story. We don't really feel guilty about this because, one, much to editor Luke's dismay, we aren't actually trying to scam people here, and two, we think it will entertain more people than it will annoy, so it's technically not really spam, I guess. So, the only way you can submit a scam spam, and this is important, is to join our discussion forums, which takes like two seconds, a link to which is on our website at www.drabblecast.org. Post your story under the new section, Nigerian Scam Spam. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go there and you'll see some examples. In three weeks or so, our editors and an independent panel of Nigerians will vote and decide which scam spam is the best, taking into consideration creativity, originality, and persuasiveness. Don't worry too much about syntax and grammar errors, that's really just being stylistic. Well, on to today's story, 40 Quarters by Tom Williams. Tom lives in Perth, Australia with his wife Monique and his baby daughter Jasmine. By day, he works for a real estate magazine, down-to-earth work, so his off-hours are spent in peculiar pursuits, including writing science fiction and fantasy. His work has appeared in Jackhammer, Reader's World, and other places, including the Drabblecast, with his decidedly dystopian story, 2084, for episode 30. So, without further ado, 40 Quarters by Tom Williams. Wes Morley leaned back in his chair and folded his arms. This was his way of indicating to the applicant sitting on the other side of the desk that the show was over. No dice. 
The skinny youth with the wispy mustache could read Wes's body language well enough, and clearly did not like it. He was half rising out of his chair, and Wes started to worry that the kid might turn violent. It had happened to him a few times over the years, though, oddly enough, it was usually women with sob stories about how their kids would starve who cut up rough. He remembered having to run out of this very office one time, hotly pursued by a brassy blonde, swinging lefts and rights better than Mike Tyson. Listen, Wes said quickly, trying to forestall any trouble. Mr... He consulted the paperwork on the desk before him. Mr. Jones, I'm sorry. I personally would like to help you. I really would, but Social Security has rules about this sort of thing. I can't help you with any rent assistance because well, you don't meet all the relevant criteria. My hands are tied, you see. The kid was still looking pissed, but he had at least sat back down in his chair. That guy on the front desk said you might be able to think of something that he couldn't, he said sullenly. Since you're the boss and all. Wes held out his hands, palms up, trying to look conciliatory. What can I do? The rules are the rules. Here, I'll give you one of these. He grabbed a pamphlet from a stack on one side of his desk and slid it across to the teenager. That tells you all about the qualifying criteria for rent assistance. How about you take that away and have a read of it? Maybe if your circumstances happen to change down the track, you will qualify for rent assistance. And then you can come back. I can't be any fairer than that, can I? Okay, I'll read it, said the kid without any enthusiasm. He stood up and stalked out, without even a word of thanks, slamming the office door behind him. You're welcome, Wes said dryly, when he felt sure the kid would not be able to hear him. Slacker, he added. As Social Security branch manager for Carlton County, one of Wes's duties was reviewing applications already rejected by his front desk underling. It seemed that the just-departed kid had dropped out of high school and left home purely to hang out with his loser buddies. No sense of self-pride, no thought of getting off his ass and getting a job. Workers and slackers, Wes muttered to himself. That's all there is. It was a mantra his daddy, and sometimes his daddy's big studded belt, had taught him long ago. Ain't nobody but workers and slackers in this world, son. Don't you become one of the slackers, cause they don't get nowhere. Sighing, Wes closed the manila folder that had held the kid's paperwork and pushed it aside. He eyed the clock on the wall. Ten minutes to five. Ten minutes until he could go home and down a couple of beers in the porch, give West Jr. the regular chewing out over not doing his homework, and see if Stella had cooked something good. And later on, he could maybe try his luck with Stella. You never knew with her. Sometimes she would be ready to ball at a moment's notice. Other times, not a chance. Either way, Wes was looking forward to finding out. He poked through some of the detritus piled up on his desk, trying to find something undemanding to take him through to the finishing time. A strange item caught his eye. A folded-up magazine. He picked it up, read the title, and discarded it with disgust.
A superhero comic, left by the slacker kid. Superheroes were slackers too. After all, didn't they spend most of their time just hanging around, waiting for someone to get into trouble? A slacker reading about a slacker. Wes snorted at the irony. The telephone on the desk started ringing, but he ignored it while he rearranged some of the crap in his in-tray. Only when Wes deemed it of sufficient order did he reach for the receiver. Wes Morley. Oh yeah, Wes, it's, it's Mal. Mal King worked the front desk, taking inquiries from Joe Public by telephone as well as in person. Yeah, what is it, Mal? Uh, I got this guy on the line. He wants a pension. I keep telling him he doesn't qualify, but uh, he won't take no for an answer. Christ, it's nearly five. I know. I'm sorry, Wes, but... Wes sighed melodramatically. All right, put him on. Thanks, here he comes. The voice that came on the line belonged to a man from an unidentifiable background. The guy's English was good, grammatically perfect even, but Wes had the impression it belonged to someone not born in America. Someone speaking a second language. A foreigner. Someone he could turn down with few qualms. First things first, Wes said, after cutting through the caller's polite preambles. What's your name, sir? Wes wrote it down. He would fill out the proper application and rejection paperwork in the morning. No one could ever accuse him of not doing things by the book. And what can I do for you today, sir? Sure enough, as Mal had said, the man wanted to apply for an old age pension. On what grounds? Wes listened to the answer in some surprise. Hmm, well, I have to say, you don't sound all that old. Anyhow, if you can prove your age, that's no problem. The catch is that there's a strict qualifying period. You need to have contributed taxes for 40 quarters. Did Mal explain that to you, sir? Apparently, Mal had not gone that far. The caller wanted to know if 40 quarters meant 10 years. Yes, 10 years in total, Wes confirmed. It need not have been continuous, but you need to at least have 40 quarters altogether. He listened to the guy's excuses, the pleading, already unconsciously shaking his head. I'm sorry, but voluntary work doesn't cut it. You have to have been paying taxes. If I may tell it to you straight, sir, the U.S. government isn't in the business of giving out money it hasn't received in advance. He tried to crank up the sincerity in his tone. Your work does sound most commendable, and I'm afraid there's nothing I can do. Volunteer work, no matter how worthy, doesn't pay taxes. There's no such thing as a free lunch. But the foreigner was not giving up so easily. No, it doesn't matter if you come from another country or even another planet. We don't discriminate against anyone's background here. We only have a problem if you haven't contributed taxes for the requisite 40 quarters. That's the magic number for us, sir. The caller persisted. Wes sighed. There were one or two things he could possibly look into, concessions and loopholes and so on. It would mean a bit of work, though, looking in a few books and files, and it was almost five... Ah, to hell with it. He had done his day's work. A fair day's work. A fair day's work for a fair day's pay. That was another of his daddy's sayings. Wes was not inclined to doing unpaid overtime, not on what he was paid. This bozo should have rung earlier. It was time to get tough. I'm sorry, sir, he said more forcefully. There is nothing I can do for you. 
Now, had you been charging folks, even a little for that assistance you've been giving them over the years, a user pay system, say, then you could have set up yourself a small business and contributed taxes. I'm afraid that while people in voluntary work certainly help their local communities in their own way, how do they contribute to the national economy? Despite himself, Wes listened to the guy some more. I take your point, sir, but however we argue it, the rules are the rules. I'm afraid that means I must turn down your application. The caller was still trying to argue, but Wes decided the show was over. I'm sorry, sir. Goodbye. The clock told him it was right on five o'clock. Wes pushed his in-tray to one side and quickly departed his office, locking the door behind him. Without bothering to take the time to pass on insincere farewells to Mal or others in the building, he left the premises. The street in which the Social Security branch was located was lined on both sides with parking meters. Wes smirked as he strolled past several of them. Since they'd been installed a few months back, none of those meters had ever got a penny out of him, and if he could help it at all, they never would. Halfway to the place where he parked his car, there was a young woman standing on the sidewalk, shaking a tin for some charity or other. A slacker collecting for more slackers, no doubt. Sir, she called, I'm collecting for children's cancer research. Can you help? I'm sorry, Wes said without hesitation. I don't have any money. Sir, just a dollar or two. It's for kids with cancer. Wes stopped in his tracks. He produced his wallet and opened it with a flourish to reveal not even a one-dollar bill tucked inside. There were a few coins in the zipped pocket, but she didn't need to see them. See? Nothing. The woman said nothing, so he walked away, grinning sardonically to himself. They never had an answer to an empty wallet. A hundred yards farther on, he came to an alleyway between two old brick warehouses, both of which sported vacant for lease signs. Filled with weeds, the alley was little more than an access lane to the rear of the warehouses, but it was plenty wide enough to accommodate Wes's cheap-to-run Toyota hatchback. It was dark and smelly in there, and he had to step over and around all sorts of crap he was glad he couldn't see clearly, but it was normally more than worth the effort to save feeding those goddamn parking meters. This evening, however, someone else was in the alley, someone lurking behind his car, someone waiting for him. He was about to pull his keys out of his pocket when a teenager jumped out from behind the Toyota, a big kid with big muscles bulging in the arms that emerged from his Chicago Bulls t-shirt. A kid brandishing a revolver with a muzzle so big that it looked like Wes's thumb wouldn't be able to plug it. Gimme your money, man, the kid hissed. There was a faint swoosh from above, and Mega Man, Carlton County's long-serving resident superhero, touched down between Wes and the mugger, staggering awkwardly for a moment or two as he slipped on something slimy on the ground. Mega Man was an old guy, bald, slightly stooped, and with a pot belly that stretched his tight green suit and distorted the big red M on his sunken chest. With balled-up fists on his hips, he stood up as straight as he could and peered about with a distinct squint. "'What have we here?' he asked in a surprisingly strong voice. "'Someone trying to get money out of Social Security?' Like Wes, the mugger had been rendered open-mouthed in shock by the unexpected appearance of the superhero— but he abruptly snapped his mouth closed, and his eyes narrowed menacingly. He shifted the aim of his gun from West to Mega Man, and snarling, 
pulled the trigger. Wes flinched violently at the resulting explosion and the spurt of bright flame, but Mega Man hardly winced as the bullet sank briefly into his belly and then fell limply to the ground. Thwarted, the teenager offered no resistance as Mega Man disarmed him and seized him by the collar. I heard you retired, Mega Man, the kid said weakly. Well, I tried to, said Mega Man wearily, but Social Security won't give me a pension. He turned to Wes. Since you won't let me retire, I don't suppose you'd give me a tip for my assistance, Mr. Morley? Wes was kind of hunched over, as if to make himself look smaller and more harmless than he was. But he straightened up at that question. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mega Man. You should have told me there was a fee in advance. I didn't ask you for any assistance. He shrugged and smiled apologetically. Therefore, I'm not obliged to pay you anything. Aged eyes watering. Mega Man looked at him for a long moment. I see, he nodded, and released his grip from the would-be mugger. To the kid's great surprise, he returned the confiscated gun. He's all yours, my friend. Wes started in disbelief. What are you doing, Mega Man? Whatever happened to truth and justice and the American way? Mega Man chuckled wheezily, but with a little glee. <laughs> I've been in this country for a long time. I know all about the American way, Mr. Morley. You said it yourself. There's no such thing as a free lunch. With that, Mega Man abruptly lurched into the air and flew out of the alley. Wes and the mugger stared at one another in amazement for several seconds. The teenager snapped out of it first. He glanced down at the revolver and seemed almost to swell with swiftly renewed confidence. Wes sagged, trying to swallow a large lump suddenly lodged in his throat as the kid pointed the gun at him. <laughs> okay, buddy, said the mugger, almost cheerfully. No messing around. Give me your money. All of it. No holding any back or I'll ice ya. No superhero's gonna come and rescue you this time. Wes was almost gibbering as he slowly, reluctantly reached a shaking hand into the pocket where his wallet resided. The couple of dollars and loose change he should have given to Mega Man were not going to cut it with this kid. And bullets were cheap in Carlton County. Well, that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. This story reminded me of another one of my favorite stories we've done back in our earlier days. Morton by Adam Carvin. When spandex-clad champions descend from their vigilant policing from above, it's fun to see the human parts really stand out in high relief to the super parts. Well, we're running a bit late this week, so I'll put off feedback till next time and run the usual closing spiel. First, I'll mention to you that even though you're not obliged to pay us anything, you should consider donating to us anyways. We like to pay our authors and our superheroes. Then I'll mention to you that, while there's no such thing as a free lunch, there is such thing as a free story. You can share this podcast with whoever you like, just don't change it or sell it. That's what our Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License is all about. Remember to comment on the website and join the discussion forums at www.drabblecast.org, where you can submit a Nigerian scam-spam story and also see a video of a guy with a medical condition that is slowly turning him into an ent. 
Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and myself, Norm Sherman, reminding you that, in all likelihood, tonight is the night that Stella is ready to ball. Drop him off a few miles out of Bridgedale, and we'll see if he keeps his mouth shut. We then handed over Rutabaga, long to scarlet and dry hide. With another sip of his chin doused with tonic, a smile cracked his face on the side. A smile cracked his face on the side.